Hey there, everybody, and welcome to the Cinema Drip Podcast, the podcast where we need movies like we need our coffee. As always, I am Scott Lentz, here with my good friend and co-host, Christian Ubius. Christian, as always, I just gotta ask, how you doing today, my friend? Got back from the gym, and not bad. Good job. Way to go. Not only did you go to the gym, you even went on a run today. I did go on a run today. So, good for you. I, I only went for a short run myself, so you, you win the physical fitness portion of this contest. <laughs> but of course, it's now time for the test of wits as we continue our spooky September blend of the month. Wait, um, just because I'm going to accuse you of something if you've done this, did you look at my star ratings for these two films before we... Oh, most definitely. Most definitely I did. Okay. Um, all right. All right, let's see where this takes us then. Let's see where it takes us, Christian, because, folks, I, as, as accused and confessed, I looked at Christian's star rating for the two films we will be considering today, those being 1978's and 2018's Halloween. And let me tell you, Christian, based on your reactions and my reactions, we should have another barn burner of an episode. <laughs> there is definitely one where we diverge in terms of our opinions, and I'm looking forward to fighting because those episodes are always a little more fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. <laughs> Today, we're going to be discussing 1978's John Com. Carpenter co-written with Deborah Hill and John Carpenter directed Halloween and uh, the 2018 reboot that retconned all nine previous <laughs> or ten previous sequels, A lot of nine, sequels. Pre- nine previous sequels Halloween which was let's let's double check this because I want to give my writer some credit written by Jeff Fradley, Danny McBride, David Gordon Green, and directed by David Gordon Green. I'm not going to lie. I kind of laughed to myself when I saw that Danny McBride was a credited writer on this movie. Because I know that he's pretty tight with David Gordon Green, but I forgot that he worked on this too. So (laughs) I was just thinking about... What has Danny McBride done? So he's just a comedian, basically. He... Was, his big show was Eastbound and Down, and he did The Righteous Gemstones with David Gordon Green on uh, HBO. He was, he, he's been in so many things. Um, I'm tr- he's in Hot Rod. You seen Hot Rod? Uh, no. Oh, dang it. Well, you need to see Hot Rod. Be, it, I'm, I'm going to watch it before Last Night in Soho. Okay. Wait. Hot Rod before Last Night in Soho? No, that's Hot Fuzz. <laughs> Never mind. This, this episode is off to a hot start. He's he's just a Hollywood comic actor, and the two of them have collaborated a lot. David Gordon Green and Danny McBride. And so I just, I've forgotten that Danny McBride was a part of this production team as well. Made me laugh. Alright, so let's... Alright, uh, Scott, I will give you the honor of recounting 1978's Halloween, and then I'll talk about 2018's Halloween. Thank you. Yes. So, as those of you who listened last week know, this blend of the month is all about taking a look at classic horror movies and their similarly named reboots or remakes or sequels, what have you. So, to introduce the original, we do, of course, have 1978's Halloween, one of the most famous slasher movies of all time and credited with kicking off the boom in slasher movies that happened in the 80s. As Christian said, written by Deborah Hill and John Carpenter, directed by John Carpenter, and famously introducing Jamie Lee Curtis to the world as Laurie Strode. Thank you for introducing Jamie Lee Curtis to us. Truly. Thank you, John Carpenter. She is the most notable person in this cast, although it does also introduce Michael Myers, who became one of the most famous horror characters of all time. And it follows Michael Myers, who 
as a young boy, murdered his sister and was sent away to a mental hospital where he eventually escapes 20 or so years later and comes back to his hometown where he then begins to terrorize Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie Strode and her friends. And so, of course, Laurie must survive the night. And 2018's Halloween... Okay, so post-1978's Halloween, there were a string of sequels. This The whole chronology of the franchise is bonkers. <laughs> it, it is. There's like... There's Halloween 2, Halloween 3, Year of the Witch, which has nothing to do with Michael Myers. Halloween 4, like the return of Michael Myers. There's Halloween H2O. Which oh, there's is... Halloween 5 first. Halloween 5, I'm sorry. And then there's H2O, which retcons previous sequels and is a direct sequel to Halloween 2, I think. Because it still features Laurie Strode. But but then the next one features, like, Laurie Strode's daughter. Halloween Resurrection. Halloween Resurrection. <laughs> and then there's, like, the 2007 remake, or 11, or 9. Yes, 2007 and 9, I believe. Complete remake, directed by Rob Zombie, <laughs> of all people. <laughs> With no previous connection, except it is Michael Myers. And then 2018's... Halloween, which retcons everything except for the original. <laughs> it is a direct sequel to the original, and now, of course, there's a whole. This it kicked off what is essentially a new trilogy with Bloomhouse. Okay, wait, wait, wait. To produce something tells me someone wants money. Something tells me you're right, my friend. <laughs> but Halloween 2018, as a direct sequel to the original, follows a now 60-something Laurie Strode who has been living under the kind of fear that Michael Myers would return, even though this attack happened when she was, I want to say, a senior in high school. And she has gone through two marriages, failed, has a daughter she is estranged from, and basically is, is, is still being tormented in her mind by Michael Myers. Michael Myers, in a mental asylum, escapes, goes back to the town that I think Laurie Strode is still living in, and now begins to torment her family and friends and the citizens of this town. And the, like you said, Scott, this will kick off a, 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 a trilogy that will be followed by Halloween Kills that comes out in a month. Yep. And then Halloween Ends that comes out next year. This trilogy all takes place in the same night of which of Halloween in which Michael Myers is terrorizing the town. I am sure that we'll talk about whether that's a good idea or not once we get more into Halloween 2018, and so I'm curious as to your thoughts on that, but we'll get there. Okay. So, let's... That's... Do we need to mention anything else for background information? I think we can head into fun facts. Sure, and I think we can we can even talk about the specifics for each movie a little bit more as we review each of them. Naturally, they're, they're just so different in terms of their position in, I guess, in viewers minds where the original halloween kicked off something huge it was a massive success it helped put john carpenter on the map because his first movie for his first couple movies before that were much smaller and this one obviously was still small but then it was successful and paved the way for him to get to bigger projects same for jamie lee curtis and kicked off the whole franchise and so halloween 2018 brings a bunch of notable people like david gordon green to the project and they're trying to continue the legacy in a way that honors the original while getting rid of some of the less well-received sequels so definitely interesting and we can get into that a little bit deeper once we cover each specific movie so let's just do two fun facts for each movie each 
like or one each. <laughs> you know what? Let, let me just start. It's <laughs> a lot of fun facts. Let's okay. Let's just do one each for each movie. Sure. All right. Uh, this I think is really interesting. That 1978's Halloween, the script was written in just ten days, and um, it's interesting to me. I have written movies in ten days or less, but sick the, brag, dude. <laughs> Okay, I'm going to need you to calm down, sir. You're in my apartment. Uh, Telling people where we record. The fans are going to start raiding our recording sessions, trying to get featured. All right, so it is very doable, but I'm wondering what this original... This is why I love plot. Because if you have plot, it is very possible to write a movie in under 10 days, in just 10 days. And and it's fascinating to know how plot-driven, how it's like you go from moments in this is michael myers moments in life that drive this movie forward yeah it's it is a very well done script for 10 days (laughs) i'm sure there were edits of course but still very well accomplished uh something else fun about the original movie there was a bit of a casting process for dr loomis who is the other major character i guess i could say he's played by donald pleasance And originally, they were always offered to two other people a little bit more notable than him, but originally offered to Peter Cushing, who folks may know as Grand Moff Tarkin in Star Wars. And if you're not sure what character specifically that is, he's basically the guy who's like the the lead general interacting with Darth Vader, the uptight Uh, British guy. yeah, 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 Peter Cushing. But he was too big of a deal because of Star Wars. And so... (laughs) He, you know who agent. didn't think that? Alec Guinness. <laughs> Alec Guinness. Well, well, Alec Guinness isn't in Halloween. I just mean for this movie, Cushing's agent was like, this isn't enough money. <laughs> but then Christopher Lee was approached for the role as well, who Count Dooku, of course, featured in Star Wars, also in Lord of the Rings, and he had a long, famous career bigger than those two franchises. But he also turned it down because of the salary. So... The role eventually made its way down to Donald Pleasance, who would go on to be in many of the sequels, and this became a big role for him. So he was well-known before, but worked out for him. All right, so 2018's fun fact. Michael Myers is listed in the credits, not as Michael Myers, but The Shape. Mm-hmm. And he is also listed that way in 1978's credits. Yeah, there's a little callback to that, which is nice. Laurie even calls him The Shape at one point, which is interesting. So this one is a little bit of a cheat because it's kind of for both, but there is a dedication in Halloween 2018, which is to dedicated to Mustafa Akkad. And so you might have recognized that name because he was one of the producers on the original Halloween. And he was a producer and director in Hollywood who made a couple movies early on in his career and then became heavily involved with this franchise and helped to shepherd it, executive producing a ton of the sequels over time. Until, unfortunately, he died tragically in the early 2000s, actually as part of a terrorist attack. Just this really horrible story where he and his daughter were in the wrong place at the wrong time. So, his, I believe it is his son, whose name is Malik Akkad, who took over and is now producing these new movies, as well as new Halloween uh, trilogies, and they're dedicated to his father. So, kind of helping to continue on the family legacy involved with these movies. So, kind of sad, but cool that the family is still involved and still getting to help shape and guide these movies that the father was involved with from the beginning. Scott, are you ready for your opening questions? I sure am, Christian. Hit me. Uh, now, it's actually just one, and uh, the reason for it is because it... it, 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 it... <sighs> Let's go with this. Let's do it. 
What is the most enduring part of the Halloween franchise across these two movies? Is it Jamie Lee Curtis's performance as Laurie Strode? Is it the character of Michael Myers? Or is it John Carpenter's score? <laughs> that is such a hard question. Because all three of those elements are hugely important. I've definitely heard this score before, and I didn't know I'd heard it until <laughs> I started watching the movie. Oh gosh, if you you know the Halloween theme, and if you have not, if you're like me and you've not seen this movie before, and then you check it out, as soon as it clicks in during the opening credits, what, isn't it like all tinkling on the piano? The remix for the 2018 version is pretty great too. I it thought. was. It really was. Anyway. This is hard to say, and I think as great as the score is, in terms of sheer influence, I'm torn between Laurie Strode and Michael Myers. Because they each, I don't know if they created this character archetype, so I'm not going to go that far, but Laurie Strode and Jamie Lee Curtis, the actress, became known, Jamie Lee Curtis, I should say, became known as a scream queen. This actress who became famous for being in these horror movies, Naturally, doing lots of screaming. She appeared in another John Carpenter horror movie called The Fog, and she was a part of all, a lot of the Halloween sequels. And She was in Freaky Friday. <laughs> Very scary movie, Freaky Friday. But she, of course, would go on to other things to get away from that image of herself, but she did create this archetype that many actresses were able to follow in getting their career start in horror movies, which then gave them opportunities by being in a success, and then they could branch out. You also have Michael Myers now, who creates this archetype of just the slasher villain. This character who is nothing but evil looking to murder some horny teenagers <laughs> you got jason Voorhees coming after in friday the 13th you got freddy krueger coming for your dreams and nightmare on elm street and so many other slashers that came out over the years where you have this character who is just purely evil going to do evil things to people who don't deserve it or as maybe scholars would argue people who do i don't know but it's hard to choose between those two. And so I'm going to have to go with Michael Myers as the character because the, like the slasher film, the boom comes after this movie, like I said. And he is so hugely influential. And whether or not people rely on a Scream Queen or a Final Girl or they just choose to use this slasher archetype, you have this perfect villain who doesn't need explaining. He's just evil. And you put him in these movies to murder people and scare them and eventually to be defeated or not. Dot, dot, dot. Sequel for more money. So that's that's my answer here. Is yours any different? No, mine is also Michael Myers, which we'll, we'll talk about this soon. Um, it is nice to have a villain that is just an embodiment of evil. Yes. That isn't given any explanation. Now, I think one of these movies does it better than the other. But it, it it's so interesting to see... We, um, especially now when we're in an age that we like the anti-hero and we like the complicated villain or the villain who comes to see the light or the hero who goes into the darkness. And yet, what if there's no explanation? Another movie that does this very well is Scream. Scream, I think the key line that they say here is, nothing scarier than when there's absolutely no reason for why these things are happening. And Scream is intentionally trying to play into these tropes and yes. call it out, which I haven't seen Scream. It's definitely on the watch list, but it's a slasher movie that is calling back on all of these other slashers that came before it intentionally and doing it to great effect from what I know. I'll say that Ghostface is not as scary of a villain as Michael Myers, but that's also because Scream is partly a comedy. Yeah. Now, um, okay, Let's get it out in the air. I did not 
enjoy 1978's Halloween, really. And let's get this out in the air. I freaking loved 1978's Halloween. Which, was this your first time watching it? This was my first time watching it. So, both of our first time watching this horror classic, and we had very divergent reactions. So, I'm curious what didn't work for you, because I was was very into this. I... it, It felt dated. It felt incredibly dated... I wasn't the biggest fan of the performances of people besides Jamie Lee Curtis, who I think is <laughs> phenomenal. And it it it, it didn't. I, I don't know. It wasn't as uh, scary. I think is the complaint that you gave last week. I'll I'll give it similarly this week. It felt as though some of these horrors could have been more horrifying. Man, that is interesting because. Part of the reason I loved Halloween so much after I liked Blair Witch Project and had a pretty, but had a somewhat muted reaction to it because I wasn't super scared is that Michael Myers to me, especially when that John Carpenter score kicks in, just got under my skin. And I I can explain more about that. But this to me was scarier. And even though I didn't necessarily like jump out of my seat or shout or anything, I had more of those moments where I was following along and saying to myself, no, 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 knowing that he's coming for somebody or... As soon as he popped on screen, I like tensed up and I was—I got nervous, not knowing what he was gonna do. And for whatever reason, Michael Myers just got so much more under my skin. And I—that's I, part of why I reacted so positively to this. So the story for 1978 Halloween, Michael Myers—the opening scene shows him. I think he's six years old. He's Which great opening scene, by the way. Phenomenal opening scene. <laughs> Absolutely phenomenal opening scene. It's a completely point of view kind of his first person look as he's a like you're saying six-year-old and looking after his sister or not looking after but watching his sister who's sneaking around with her boyfriend her sister has just finished having sex with her boyfriend he sees the boyfriend come down the stairs and leave he's like putting a shirt on i think as he's leaving then michael he's in a clown suit because it's his halloween costume yes 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 I, I'm just saying it's creepy. Yeah, yes. Walks up the stairs. Well, grabs a knife from the kitchen. Of course. Walks up the stairs. His sister's in her room, topless, just like brushing her hair. And then she's like, Michael, what are you doing? And then he just starts cutting. And it is really Man, that was a punch. <laughs> yeah, it is a very dark opening to this movie. And it so establishes just how effed up this villain that we're going to be following is. Like, he, throughout the movie, is is called just pure evil. There's no rhyme or reason. It's just what he is. And this opening sells that idea completely because there is there's no reasoning to why he does this. Let's, let's go into it. The victims he's hunting down. The traditional horror movie tropes of victims is that they are women who have lost their virginity. Or even just guys, too. Like, horny teenagers, people who have sex. Women in particular are often the victims in these movies, for sure. But the the violence is, is doled out in equal measure, <laughs> at least in this movie. But the people who get more screen time are the girls. Yes. And it is something of like a male gaze onto these women who are like running around. It's Halloween. Like it's, it's Halloween. How 25 years later? No. I think just 20. That's 20 years what later. what I want to say. 
It's 20 years after he's killed his sister. He escapes from a mental asylum, goes back to the town he grew up in, or the house that he um, was raised in, right. and then starts slashing. Right. And the connection here is that Laurie's dad is like a realtor, and so he's going to show this creepy haunted house. <laughs> and so she like pops by at the beginning of the movie, and Michael sees her when she swings by, and so we're led to believe that he kind of stalks her from there, because he comes to her house. But then, really, the rest of the movie is pretty contained. Because Lori and her friend, who we should explain who that is, but Lori and her friend are babysitting on Halloween night at houses across the street from one another. And so, they are keeping in touch because the one girl is having her boyfriend come, and their third friend might be coming along, so they're keeping in touch. And while Michael stalks down Lori, he then, of course, ends up finding his way to the other friends, and that's how he gets them (laughs) okay so here's 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 part of okay the audio in this movie is not the best the audio in this movie is not the the dubbing the dubbing the the i i don't know what it was i did not like the dialogue not like the dialogue but the way that it sounded It felt like the sound was not good. It's such a particular complaint. And when that has happened to me in movies before, where you're just not vibing with the sound of the movie, it can totally take you out of it and throw you off. And I, I feel like I can kind of know what you're talking about, where there are there are a few moments where it's clear that they went in for some ADR after, and the audio doesn't perfectly match up with the shot and with the voices, but it wasn't like film ruining for me. <laughs> An- another thing that, that I did, and, and sadly, a lot of these are kind of technical. The score, I thought, was too loud. And, and I wh- wanted it louder. <laughs> but here's the thing. There were odd moments of silence that kind of drag on, and it's supposed to be a slow burn. But in those moments of silence that Michael Myers is just, like, staring at the teenagers or, like, we're waiting for him to finish the kill... I kind of needed some score because it goes on for such a long time that the score would have made it even more terrifying. Man, I I just I didn't feel that same way, especially because a lot of these silent moments we're hearing we're getting these point of view shots again where we're hearing Michael's breathing through this mask that he's wearing and and seeing him watch people, which of course builds this tension because you're like, "Oh no, oh no, no, what's going to happen to these people?" <laughs> Because at the bare minimum, you're like, oh man, these are just these are Laurie's friends. I don't want them to get it. And for some of these moments, after he kills someone, you're like left to sit there and lounge in this horrific murder that has just taken place, and you have to sit there with the evil of Michael Myers. And so I didn't that didn't take away from the scares at all for me. And John Carpenter did the score as well here. We should say. And the music throughout is great, but that theme that kicks in every time, that almost every time, that Michael comes on screen, it's just so perfect at setting the tone. <laughs> and by the time it continues to kick in and he keeps showing up and keeps killing these people, it, it, it just build ten, built tension in me. And so I, I guess I, I don't agree with the whole feeling that the silence would drag on for too long because it always working in tandem for me. And here's the last thing that, that is honestly my, my most major complaint. I think that there should have been more teenagers. I the he, and the, more they, dead people. More. There, there should have been because we these friends are like in two or three different houses. They're just babysitting. the The setting 
is so muted, so quiet, and sometimes that's beautiful, but I, I don't know. In like a teen slasher movie, I again, I, I shouldn't be projecting what I wanted out of a movie there, but it felt as as, as such a small thing that for, for a villain who could honestly be terrorizing many, many, many more teenagers. That, and the, and maybe it's not even that. I don't really, besides the one shot inside the classroom, I, I, oh, I don't see, <laughs> I don't see like the world that they're inhabiting. I don't see their neighbors. I don't see like who their families are. It's, it's just the, their only real personality trait is that they're having sex or they're babysitting other people. And I feel as though besides Lori, and yes, sure, Lori is the virgin, and Lori, outside of her being the virgin, she's resourceful, she's very smart, she has friends, she's the only one who's given like three dimensions outside of just, I'm going to babysit for money and have sex while my kid's sleeping. <laughs> and, and I did not like that. Oh, I just, with the, the Haddonfield, Illinois, with this whole town, the most of the beginning of the movie, after we get past... Michael, the, the prologue of him killing his sister, and there's a few sequences with Donald Pleasance's character, Dr. Loomis, who is, he's trying to transport Michael from this mental hospital before he breaks out, and then he tries to work with the police to catch Michael. But aside from those sequences, everything else is setting up the town, and we're, we're meeting, you know, we see Lori's dad, the, the real estate agent, we see her walking home with her friends, she hangs out with the kid that she's babysitting, and you do get a sense of this town and the people who are going to be involved in the movie. And we should say her friend, Annie, who's the other girl babysitting across the street, her dad is the sheriff of the town. And so he gets involved with the doctor later on. And you get a sense of knowing the people who are going to be important players. And I feel like we get a strong enough sense of Haddonfield. And then the, the rest of the movie, the next hour of the horror of Michael Myers is so self-contained, which is part of why it works so well. It's not just evil wandering the streets aimlessly killing people you feel like there's some sort of purpose you just have no idea what it is which it, is what's so creepy about michael myers it's just it, i believe it or not look i i i dis, there are scholars out there who say that we need to go into the backstory of michael myers i disagree i love that he's just pure evil right now what i'm saying is the opposite complaint i had for the blair witch project last week i think this movie ha could have had like another half hour in it to watch these teenagers i don't know i wanted to care a little bit more about these teenagers and therefore care how they were dying or that they were dying my, my i watched this with my sister while she was in town and we're like laughing during all the deaths when he like slashes girls throat in car my sister's just like <laughs> and i'm like yeah it's, oh really fu it's so funny it, it, it's funny and it's it, it's dated how like these uh, how these yeah. kills are played for... Okay, no, you can't give me that. One of the appeals of horror movies is laughing at the deaths. And this has happened for decades. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm saying that, like, you're not wrong to, like, laugh at this movie. And that is a normal response to a horror movie. Because, of course, like, there are now horror comedies, of course, like Scream or like Freaky, which is a movie that came out recently. I think 2020. Yeah. That is a Freaky Friday, but make it a slasher movie. Happy Death Day. Happy Death Day. Yeah, where these movies are intentionally playing into the, the release instead of fright of laughter and mixing those two to great effect. But so I don't fault you for laughing. I just think that Halloween is is not dated. And it's 
regarded as a classic, I think, rightly. And I, coming to it for the first time with no feelings about the whole franchise, just totally fell in love with this movie and would love to watch it in future Halloweens because it's so successful for a slasher movie and first for a horror movie because I was scared. I laughed along at a couple points. I was totally invested in Laurie Strode and spooked by Michael Myers. And so, I, like, you say that this is dated, and I just don't see it. Because maybe there are things that now we laugh at because they've been parodied or spoofed or things, but, and this is the origin, but it, it still works for me. Even if the normal, like, laughing along at a horror movie is how you reacted to it. I, I just think that I wanted more character development for Laurie. And but, I wanted like, I more character development for... That's why I love horror the horror movies for character development. The Blair Witch Project. You get a sense of all... Of Heather, Mike, and Third Dude. You get a sense of... Josh. Who, sure, Josh. Respect for the dead. <laughs> you get a sense of who they are and what their personalities are like and how they're fed up with this documentary. You get more time with them. I needed more time with these teenagers. Like the people who were just there to die? Yes. Well, see, okay. I in reading a little bit about this movie john carpenter i guess i should say one aspect of halloween other slasher movies is there's this whole like psychoanalysis that has happened and so people talk about the kinds of victims in these movies are often sexually active teenagers and people who are having fun at the expense of you know being responsible so laurie is like the archetype for the final girl the woman who survives because she's smart and resourceful and even like motherly the way that she cares for the kids that she's babysitting and she's not like using babysitting as an excuse to get you know to get together with her boyfriend she's you know she's the morally upright person and that's why she survives there's all this analysis that has gone on which is what's fascinating because john carpenter's like yeah i don't know about that like i was just trying to write what i thought real teenagers were like and he was just trying to write teenagers the way they were and so yeah maybe these characters aren't receiving the kind of development that somebody in a hard-hitting issues centered drama might but there's enough there that you can still relate to them just on a human level as people and connect to them through Lori. It's like, oh my gosh, these girls won't stop making fun I, of her, I but think that they're if, her friends. I think that if we were to show this to people, even in our lives, it, it's easier to laugh at it than than just like overtly than to laugh while also feeling like the shock of that character dying. I mean, I'll tell you, like you're in, you are in the minority for a reaction to Halloween because it's still a, a widely beloved horror classic. And we, we knew that going into it. And so you're entitled to your reaction. I'm just saying that I don't think that you're right in saying most people would laugh at Halloween because I'm I think it's s- well, still I, like a beloved I, I, horror I movie. think that most people today who are our age haven't seen Halloween. That's interesting. That, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I, I, don't, I don't know what to say to that because I... As I've said on the show before, I'm not historically a huge horror person. It's definitely a genre I've gotten a lot more familiar with as a, a grown-up than as a, a younger kid. So I don't even know what to say to that because I haven't, you know, texted friends and asked, "Hey, have you seen John Carpenter's film Halloween?" You know, <laughs> I haven't done the survey. So that would be an interesting, I guess, uh, survey to put out there. And hey, if you're listening along here, let us know. Like, you can shoot us an email. And let us know if you're your feelings on Halloween. If you laugh at it, if you're scared by it, if you've seen it before this episode, we'd love to know. Uh, last thing before we move on, I will agree with you. I th- well, I'm not going to say I will agree with you. I think we agree on this thing. The most enduring part is how terrifying Michael Myers is. Yes. Just <laughs> by standing there, just by standing in an area and looking at you because Michael Myers has a mask on and we only see his face like once. And it's funny that the one time we see his face is when he f- reveals some semblance of a weakness. Right. 
he just stands there with this mask on staring and you are are as as a psychiatrist says you know like looking into evil but i'm, I'm i want to use this as a, as a transition michael myers comes back for wait 88 18 40 years later 40 years later after he came back all those other times <laughs> after he came back all those other times <laughs> but then he didn't really cuz just kidding <laughs> And then just kidding again, and then, <laughs> and then just kidding for the third time. Yep, just just kidding, just kidding, just kidding. Anyway, so Michael Myers, twenty eighteen. I really enjoyed this movie. And you, I I like this movie. I I will say I prefer the original, okay. but I did like this movie. I had a few more problems, especially with what they do with the story this time around. That it'll be interesting to hash that out, but. All in all, like, still a, a really successful horror movie. Okay, so 2018's Halloween, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis's Laurie is a recluse grandma living in this, like, very fortified bunker house thing. Yeah. She's locked herself away, essentially, teaching herself to shoot and installing this, basically, like, apocalypse prepper basement doomsday prepper basement with all kinds of canned food and stuff in, the, in case michael myers comes back and we see even more bits of the house as the movie goes on and it's like ready to lock down right right she's estranged from her daughter she has had two failed marriages which they point out for some reason but <laughs> she is estranged from her daughter who doesn't want anything to do with her because growing up Lori taught her daughter how to shoot and how to be in self-defense Taught her to essentially be waiting for evil at every turn because of what happened to her and her daughter is scarred by it. She has a granddaughter who wants to reconnect with her grandma, but Lori is is not the easiest to reconnect with. Right. And we should say her daughter is Karen, played by Judy Greer, and then granddaughter is Allison, played by Andy Maticek. Yes. Michael Meyer. Well, there are these two journalists who F everything up. Uh, Christian, they are British podcasters. <laughs> that is an important fact to share. They they literally cause the events of this movie to happen and they die. And I'm like, honestly, you deserve to die <laughs> for what you did. Yeah, the, instead of uh, you know a prologue that shows the origin story of Michael Myers, now you have these two uh, wannabe serial podcasters who, who, of course, in the movie they say they've won awards or whatever, but they are trying to unpack the story of Michael Myers and Laurie Strode, and we find out that the events of the first movie are referred to as the babysitter killings, and it's coming up on the 40th anniversary, so they're trying to put together this investigative journalism about Michael and Laurie, and so they go visit him at the mental hospital that he's at, and he, of course, he's set to be transferred to a different prison. What could go wrong? A lot of things. Because he escapes, hunts down the two journalists who have his mask for some reason. Oh, I'm sorry, British podcasters. Yes, British podcasters. They have his mask, and his mask, like, creates some kind of weird supernatural effect. <laughs> They're out in this yard, and there's all these other inpatients these are like people who are mentally unwell but have committed crimes and so they're, they're like out in this yard and they start like freaking out after they reveal the mask and there's like a reverberating sound effect and michael doesn't even turn around you know <laughs> like it's a a, a a definitely a really cool opening i would say even if you're kind of like some of it's a little bit far-fetched obviously but it's a supernatural horror movie so what can you expect so 
Michael kills them, gets mask, goes back to town. <laughs> More things happen in between there, but yes, he gets back to town. <laughs> gets back to town, starts killing teenagers again, starts killing, um, her granddaughter's name was Annie? Allison. Allison starts killing Allison's friends and uh, wants to hunt Allison and her mom, Aunt Annie? Lori. L- no, or the no. mom is Karen. Karen. Karen hunting Karen and also hunting Lori. All three of whom seclude themselves in Lori's bunker house death trap thing and try to fend him off. Now, considering that there are two sequels, some might say you can infer (laughs) they were successful. (laughs) There there are some wins featured in Halloween, some losses, certainly. What I I love is that the dad dies and no one, like, cares. Christian, spoiler alert, my friend. (laughs) Yeah, okay. But hey. I didn't say whose dad died. (laughs) I mean, this is, you know, typically full spoilers here. And this movie did come out a couple years ago, so hey. We warned you, but yeah, the the dad does eat it, and that he that is just glossed over. I'm sure they'll deal with that in the sequel here, but yeah. But okay, here's the thing: I loved the school dance. That's what I wanted. I loved that these people are talking about school and like Halloween and are slightly more than babysitters. Like you see a little bit of their relationship with the people they're babysitting. Yes, they are indeed it's like the exact same as the first movie, but okay. They are indeed having sex, and yet the deaths take... I don't know. The deaths are, like, more reactive. Is there any... I don't think there's any actual sex in this movie. There are two of the teenagers... I don't think there's any nudity either. No. It's like two teenagers start making out at one point, but then Michael intervenes, as Michael tends to do. Yes, and... and, uh, (laughs) uh, It's kind of cool. I don't know. I, I... for me, I love a horror movie where I'm like cheering when the deaths are coming, and I found, <laughs> I found myself doing that. I, I mean, you were cheering during OG Halloween. <laughs> I wasn't cheering. I was like unnerved. <laughs> okay, so what are what are your complaints about this movie? So okay, so in, yeah, like the first Halloween worked so well for me because I mean John Carpenter's a master filmmaker, obviously, and this one is one of his claims to fame. So it's just you get to see a master at work. And David Gordon Green is certainly a very talented director, so no shade there. But the way that Carpenter keeps the movie so self-contained, and it's just these two houses that were kind of jumping back and forth between small cast. That worked really well for me, just keeping everything contained. It's focused on Michael and Lori and her friends. And the atmosphere is is so great, too, where you have the Carpenter score, plus they're you know constantly playing with when is Michael going to jump out, when isn't he, when is there going to be something as the camera is moving, and when is there going to be something in the background, when is Michael going to do this, that, whatever. The newest Halloween feels a little bit more Blumhousey to me, which mileage can vary. They are obviously very successful and made a lot of great horror movies, uh, but it just feels like a sort of a, a better Blumhouse horror movie in, in some respects, where there certainly is atmosphere, but it's not as I, I would say timeless as the original. Where there's some, you know, there's in jokes and people like playing around with cell phones and, and whatnot, and. So there, that the atmosphere was still really strong, like, don't get me wrong, but I preferred the atmosphere of the original. And when it comes to the actual writing in the story, I just felt like they made some choices that I think obviously had these sequels in mind, that if they wouldn't have just thought about the sequels and would have focused on making a great movie, they would have started the movie better. So things like, the there's a, a, a friend named, I think his name is Oscar, who 
he is buddies with Allison and her boyfriend. Yeah, his name's Oscar. Is he the guy who tries to kiss her? Yeah, and he okay. tries to kiss her later because she kind of has this, her boyfriend kiss another girl. And so it's this whole crappy scene. And it feels like if you're going to have sequels, that that should be a character that's involved. But, of course, Michael gets him. Spo- you know, there's your spoiler alert. And so... I like how we do spoiler alerts after we spoil after the it. Fact, yeah. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. it seems like there were other people who maybe could have gotten murdered by Michael before this, and, and yet it's this guy who's getting killed. And so I'm just, I don't know what they're going to do with these sequels beyond, like, obviously Michael's going to keep chasing Laurie, Karen, and Allison. And what I like, though, that these sequels are set in the same night. I, right. I, that Like, I, I didn't fully know that, and so that's interesting enough to me. But, I don't know, it, it does seem like they, they got to a good ending point, and then, of course, they had to change it so they could have Halloween Kills come out in 2021. It, I, I will say that some of the um, final fight sequences at the end wrap a little too tight a bow on it in a way that the original I, I was able to not do. There, and, There is, actually, I will say, one really satisfying moment later on in this movie where... Uh, they, oh, does it have to do with Judy Greer? Um, yeah, that, that, yeah, that, that one was good. good. That one was good. <laughs> Not what I was talking about, though. But there's a moment. The, one of the most famous moments from the original Halloween is, uh, of course, Dr. Loomis comes in to save Laurie. He's able to shoot Michael. Michael falls out a window. And they see his body lying on the ground. And then eventually yeah. they look back and Michael's gone. And you hear, <laughs> the theme kicks in and it's credits. Um, in this movie, of course, Michael has a moment fighting Laurie where he thinks he kills Laurie. He looks out and sees her body lying on the ground. Then he, you know, he does something. He, Michael's around. And then he goes back and looks out the window and she's gone. And it's stuff like that that I think is great callbacks to the original and that are also so satisfying. So some of those, like, maybe bow-tying moments, I think, still work for me. And I, I will say also, I love the combination of Judy Greer and, and, and the daughter, whose I name I, I forget. And Allison. Yeah, Allison. <laughs> well, okay, well, Karen, Allison, and Lori. I liked the three of them taking on Michael Myers together. Right, and there's this, there's this whole great thematic piece to this version of Halloween because we have Lori, who is clearly still traumatized and it's just openly talked about from what happened with Michael. And of course she then projected that trauma onto her daughter who is still trying to unpack it all. now that she's, even now that she's an adult who's married with a kid of her own. And Allison is also affected by this too. And you see the ways that this traumatic event has affected the whole family. And they're, they're trying to find some way of staying connected through it. And that is a really cool part about this movie that I'm looking forward to seeing how they continue in these future movies because now you have them, the three of them together and they're kind of united, have to stick together to survive. And hopefully, obviously, they'll have these conversations about their family and that that whole aspect of this movie is great, which is just isn't there in the first movie because it's all about Michael trying to kill Laurie and Laurie trying to survive. Okay, across these two movies, we're, we're gonna, well, we're gonna hint at it next week when we get to awards. But... Who won these two movies? Jamie Lee Curtis. If we're talking Easily. about both of these movies, Easily. I mean, she became a horror icon immediately with Laurie Strode in the original Halloween. And it's a character that she's been able to continue to play while still having a career outside of it. And she's been in, I mean, she's been in all kinds of movies, family stuff, action stuff, like comedies. She was in a James Cameron movie, True Lies. She's in True Lies. There you go. She's been in all kinds of movies and, and yet has still been able to return to this character and is still beloved for it. And which which is the better Jamie Lee Curtis performance? I I I, I, I think you go. it's just what do you think? I think it's the 2018 one. 
I think because I think the original is more focused on Michael and this one is more focused on her. I, you know, I actually think that that is good logic. And I would probably, I, mean, I might say the second movie as well. I, I haven't thought that through too much. Just because the original, you know, kind of creates this archetype. And it's certainly a very good horror movie performance, or just performance in general. But there's there's a little bit more to do in 2018 because she's not, you know, she's not just the, playing the same character. It is a very different version of the same character. It's a woman who has been hardened by trauma over the ensuing 40 years between. There's there's more for her to do than in the original movie, where a lot of it is her kind of creating this nice character who then has to be scared a lot. And it's that that is a challenge, of course. But I, I would I would maybe agree with you that 2018 is since it's more focused on her in, in some respects. Um, there's obviously still quite a bit of Michael, but because focus on her and her family too, I think it it is a better overall. Maybe with that we are done. We are done with the discussion. With that we are done. So. If you have not yet had a chance to check out these movies, I would encourage you to strongly check out the original. It doesn't sound like Christian would say so, unless you want to be... I, I think that it should be checked out. Okay. I don't think... I, I didn't like it that much. But two and a half. <laughs> there you go. And this is like... Yeah, this is one that I loved. Probably one of my one of my favorite horror movies that I've ever seen, which is a small number, as you know, listeners. But still, definitely want to check out. It's available on Hoopla right now, which you may have through your local library system or rentable a number of other places. Halloween 2018 is streamable a couple of spots, I think, but primarily rentable from Amazon Prime, etc. Or get it from the local library, which did, is what we did. Did you return my library DVD? I am. As soon as we finish recording, I am driving <laughs> to the library to return your DVD. All right, cool. Um, I don't want the fine. Now, <laughs> now uh, next week, we are talking about the movie that spurred on this blend. Some of you may have been able to guess it already. We're going to be discussing 1992's Candyman and now 2021's Candyman. Uh, I think 1992's is available on 2B TV. That is where I watched it. I would encourage you to check it out. It's available for free with ads, but... And then 2021's is go to the theater. Yep. <laughs> go to the theater. Have you seen the 2021 Candyman yet, Christian? I haven't seen either yet. This and... is the one week you beat me. Okay, wow. Okay, I've seen the original. I've not yet seen 2021, so maybe we can take in a screening together. And I every time I see the name of the movie, I want to say Candyman. <laughs> <laughs> As is a normal a normal joke to make with these kinds of things, Spider-Man, Batman, but yes, we'll have to make sure we get Candyman correct. So check out the original on Tubi TV or rentable a number of other places, and check out the newest sequel in the theaters now. And with that, that is our show. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, as you know, Christian and I love watching these movies and discussing them, and so it just means a lot that there are folks out there listening along. There are a few things that you can do to support the show. Number one, give us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts. Helps us reach new listeners there, and we love to shout out our reviews here on the podcast. So if you want to get a little shout out, feel free to leave a review. You can also subscribe wherever you get your podcasts, and we are available pretty much wherever you can. You can also send us an email. I mentioned earlier, would love to know if you have any thoughts on the original Halloween or just either of these movies. So feel free to shoot us an email at cinemadrippodcast at gmail.com, which is where we love to get listener feedback that includes thoughts on episodes, as well as ideas for future blends of the month or streaming recommendations. And as you know, a number of listeners who wrote in ended up on the show themselves. So we do love our listeners. Thank you for listening. Please feel free to provide us some feedback. We'd love to... Get your ideas and, hey, maybe even 
consider y'all for a future appearance. We'll have to see. No promises, right, Christian? No, but if you give me money, yes. Okay, so if you pay Christian, then that's uh, that makes sense. Bribes always work. The last thing you can do, of course, is to follow us on social media. Christian and I referenced that I checked out his Letterboxd ratings. You can follow the two of us on Letterboxd, where we are regularly rating and reviewing the Stop checking out my Letterboxd ratings before the show. <laughs> no, it makes me it gets me more excited because then I know how to how to prepare. Because <laughs> I'm always eternally late on my Letterboxd ratings, so I try to review things like a nerd, and so I'm just always behind, which gives me an advantage. And you can also follow me and the show on social media on Twitter. Uh, Christian is an Instagram man. I don't know how much you want me to advocate for that, but <laughs> feel free to find him. <laughs> Christian, any final thoughts for those listening along at home? I... Uh, that Are you okay? Yeah. <laughs> Christian's okay, folks. Never you fear. Candyman next week. We hope you'll follow along. And until next time, this has been the Cinema Drip Podcast.